Welcome, Temple family and friends. We're so glad to have you joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. This podcast aims to engage our faith community through thoughtful biblical discussions centered on God's Word. Our goal is to explore Scripture together to discover the wisdom it has for our lives. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into God's truths and discussing how they impact our daily living. We're eager to unpack the riches of the Bible with you all, our extended church family. And now, here's Temple Talk. Welcome, Temple family and friends, uh, back to Temple Talk. I'm here again with our pastor, Bennett Holloway. Bennett, how are you doing this week? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I think slowly but surely our voices are coming back and uh, getting over this change of weather and our body's inability to <laughs> recalibrate um, to a little bit colder weather. So, uh, Just in time for the time change. Yeah, just in time for the time change, yes. But I'm doing well. We had a good week. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited uh, about this week um, and what we have in store. Yeah, me too. I'm excited about this lesson. I think um, there were a lot of good things in here. Um, and we don't have a lot of notes, but I think that the things that are going to come out of this are going to be really beneficial, I feel like. And I think that's something that uh, we're trying to grow in in terms of the podcast and kind of what it looks like and what it needs to look like is as time goes, we're going to continue to evolve and, uh, and I guess, sharpen this craft um, of podcasting. And so we'll have show notes that are going to be posted that allow uh, references to scripture or any surveys or any books that we may reference throughout the podcast. Um, but it get, at least gives another tool for people to take it home uh, or to jump online and to observe it. Um, so in our show notes that we may be pointing towards or we may be revising and editing as we mm-hmm. post it to give a little bit more clarification on something that we say uh, during the podcast is going to be something that's going to be available. Yep, absolutely. We are working our way there, and we have a wonderful uh, producer, Mr. Tony, who's been helping us through all of the technical pieces uh, and is going to be helping us with all of the, the show notes and all those kinds of things as well. He doesn't want to talk, but he's nodding. All right. So one of the things that hit me right off the bat about this sermon as Dr. Ewer is talking is his quote that said, if we have conveniences, that's grace. And he mentioned how the gospel isn't growing in North America like it is anywhere else in the world. And I I felt that spiritually because I see that. I see the the ease that we have here, the comfort that we have in our homes and in our lives. And it's that feeling that I don't need God necessarily because I can provide for myself. I can provide for my family here. Where he was mentioning in a lot of other countries, they need God for their sustenance, their daily living. There is a, a, a need There is something missing in their life that we don't always feel. We still have that need. We still have that void, but we can fill it with so many distractions and other things that it's easy to say, oh, no, I'm fine. Yeah. And that – so church growth and revitalization is something that I've been studying deeply um, over the last year. And this is a – this is an – Let's, so let's just break it down real quick because I want, I want to make sure that we understand the grace that we get to live by and uh, the opportunities that we get here and how we are stewarding that grace. Mm-hmm. Okay, So he said if, 
if we have conveniences, that's grace. Another thing that he talked about in his message is if we have choices, <laughs> if we even have choices, that's grace. Because the majority of the world is living in a situation where, one, uh, some areas don't have the freedom to worship God or to gather or Christianity is highly persecuted. So even the mere uh, risk that is attributed to believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, there is something there that demands um, a certain level of faith and willingness to go all in. And he said a lot of churches or a lot of places in the world, you don't have an option of which church do I go to. It's do I go to the group that is worshiping the or only do I Christians not? in my area <laughs> right. that are meeting in the basement of their home like is it do I go mm-hmm. and so uh, this this thing that we have that we abuse right in the western church is this idea of well, if I don't like this here if I don't like that there and we kind of see the church as uh, uh, as a as a golden corral, as this restaurant that I think needs to fully satisfy the needs of my family. So if they don't have all the things out there on the menu that don't meet the needs of what I need, I'm just going to pick up my stuff and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The whole problem with that dynamic and that mindset, that choice that then creates this worldview, is that that is me centered. Mm-hmm. That's not Christ centered. So the decision of where I choose to attend is more built around what I want to get from something, not what God's wanting to do through his bride. And so there's this balance, uh, Tuck, that, that, that I wrestle with as a pastor um, when it comes to, I believe that, I believe in the Ephesians 4 model of the church that, 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 when Paul talks about that each people, each member is a part of the body that is equipped, um, that contributes, uh, that, that edifies the church towards maturity in Christ, right? I, I think that people that attend a church, they need to recognize the value that God has on them and in them for the purpose of that church. So when I think about choosing a church, the way that I try to teach people in the process is, one, have, a, have an intentional standard of theology, right? Let us not compromise on uh, the, the authority of the Word of God or who Jesus Christ is um, and who God is and what sin does and the desire towards repentance and overall sanctification. Let us not compromise on these standards. And you mentioned that on a previous episode. If you don't believe in what the church is doing— you need to go somewhere yeah, yeah, where yeah. you do. Right. And so, but if you don't know what the church is doing or the church is in a process of discovering that, there is this moment in time, like we have here, where it is a beautiful opportunity for the people of God to come on board, fix their hearts and their minds on what God's wanting to do, and then just say, Here I am, Lord, use me. How are you wanting me to become a part of your story? through your church at this time. And that in and of itself, the fact that we get to choose that is grace. That is something of God's riches at Christ's expense that we get the privilege of benefiting from here. Now, if you look at the country as a whole, he said that it isn't growing in North America. And this is a sad fact. As, as we look at, um, let maybe let's focus on 
Protestant churches are closing their doors at a faster rate than churches are being planted. And when you look at just general attendance across our country, there's a Gallup poll that shows that that right now about 47% of American adults uh, are members of a church, whereas back in 2000, it was more around 70% of adults in America were members of a Protestant church. And so this decline in general attendance, while also the churches are dying at a faster rate than they're being born, are clear indications that things are getting worse and that there is a detachment towards the value of the local body. So as the church is, is shrinking and turning more self-focused and the people are being more me-focused in our country, the opposite is happening where the choices aren't there, mm-hmm. right? And so when, whenever we open our eyes and look outward to the rest of the world and we're seeing the persecuted church in China flourishing and growing, when we see um, in the Middle East and when, when we see in Africa and we see in South America, we see these people that they don't have the options, but they have the only option that provides all of their needs through Jesus Christ. And so faith and Christianity is growing in other areas. And that's something that is, is one, it's sobering for me. It breaks my heart for a lot of the people that I know and love. And the problem that I have personally is that that same statistical data for the country is directly applied to within a 10-mile radius of our church here in New Bern, right? And so we did research about that. Right. And so 73% of adults within a 10 mile radius of our location acknowledge that they do not participate in church activities. And therefore, our default understanding there um, is that they're unchurched, that they don't see value in it, they don't understand it. Um, They may acknowledge there is a God, but there's no discipleship, there's no accountability, there's no encouragement, there's no support. The benefits of being in a church is not being received by that many people. And so it's something that is real. Uh, But what's awesome on the other side is that we have an opportunity to make an impact with where we're at, with our home. And so if we can come to a point to acknowledge that all of these things that we take for granted is actually grace given, that the sovereign God, even waking up this morning, is a measure of grace, uh, that we have the opportunity to be here, to listen to this, um, to read his word, uh, to go to church, all of this is by the grace of God. Um, Maybe, hopefully, it'll shift our perspective on how we steward those options. And I think it speaks to something that we can do because it's so easy to look at mission trips, which are important, right, that yes. go abroad. Yes. But there's we don't have to be a part of that in order to do God's work. We don't have to be on a mission trip to be missional. Right. Right. And so the very same thing that in the Great Commission, he tells us to go do, he's even meaning in Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So starting in your backyard, starting across the table, starting mm-hmm. in the checkout line, starting with the people that you cross paths with today, that is our battlefield, right? That is our mission field. And so it is important to send missionaries. It is important that people are gifted and sent and supported by our church to do that. But the other side of the coin is we have to recognize every single one of us are sent to here, mm-hmm. right now, where we're at, 
with that same mission. One of the things that I had heard before is people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so one of the things that you're talking about is reaching across the table, reaching to your neighbors, the people that know us and know how we live our lives can sometimes be the people that will be the most uh, receptive. Because if I just go to a random person and start preaching to them, maybe that'll help the person at, at the food mart or whatever. But the person that knows me, knows how I live, and knows that I care about them will often be the most receptive to, hey, you should come to church with me or or something like that. Yeah, I think that even as we wrestle with this desire to share Christ and we also wrestle with fears of messing it up or fears of pushing people away or even misrepresenting him if they mm-hmm. have a really tough question, like as we deal with that, I always try to go back with, okay, what happens in Scripture when this moment of insecurity uh, or a lack of confidence in self to do what God's told us to do. I always go back to Moses. And in this moment with the burning bush, in this moment with stuttering Moses, in this moment where God's saying, this is what you are going to go and do, and this is what you're going to go tell this person. He's kind of given that it's, it, you're going to go speak this truth to this person, and Moses doesn't have confidence in his ability to do that. His identity is really wrapped up in his inability to articulate things or his lack of confidence or even maybe has something to do with his history, having committed murder, like all of these things he was wrestling with. And and he says, how, how am I going to do this? Where do I start? What do I use? What do I do? And God says, start with what's in your hands. Mm-hmm. Start with the place I've already planted you. Start with those relationships that, that are already present. Start with your brother. Start with, <laughs> yes, start with that right there right? And as Aaron comes alongside him, and as they go and do, their confidence builds, and inevitably they come to a point, and I believe all of us will, to where we can go to a stranger and share what God's put on our heart. And we can be led by the Spirit, depending on Him, to be glorified in the lives of people that we come across randomly. But it's got to start somewhere. And there's no greater place to start than in the uh, comfortable relationships, in the context we already exist. Um, one of the other things that I thought was really important is that Dr. Ewart brought up the leaders committing to God's law first and foremost and then kind of spreading that out. Um, and so how does that work here at Temple, um, that solidarity of, of the leadership and then kind of moving then to the, the members? Yeah, I think that uh, overall um, when it comes to leadership, we are at a place to where you can't take someone where you haven't been, right? You can't lead anyone somewhere that you haven't been yourself. And it requires a unified leadership to walk and discern, one, discern what God is saying. I think it's healthy in numbers. We see that pattern throughout Acts and the epistles with the plurality of elders and leaders as they come together mm-hmm. and affirm what God's saying um, and their decisions that they're making. But here at our church, we're, we're doing that same thing. We're being slow to react, and, uh, and we're believing wholeheartedly in the solidarity that's required as leadership as we walk forward and then ask our church to come alongside us. Because the end result that we deeply desire, Tuck, is unity. It's unity 
in alignment with what God is wanting to do here. And so as leadership, I immediately, I keep going back to Scripture, and we see in Acts chapter 2 this, this display of a unified people alongside each other as the early church is being established, and the, all things are in common, and, and they are unified. We see in John chapter 17, when Jesus is doing his high priestly prayer, one of the main drivers in verse 20 and 21 is a desire for unity amongst the bride right? And I'll read it to you. It's in verse 20. It says, I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And so Jesus is praying for his disciples before this. And he's saying not only for the disciples, right, but for all of those who believe because of what the disciples will be sharing. That's us too. That's us, right? So he's praying for us in this moment, which is incredible. And so he says that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's saying, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So there's a level of discernment that's required by leadership to recognize, we have to recognize that it takes unity amongst the believers, that as leadership, you can't take anyone where you haven't been, and that the Holy Spirit often affirms the discernment of the will of God through multiple people that are seeking his face, and that as we work through decisions, there's a significant level of grace that's a part of it, but the ultimate desire really is for the unity of the church and the impact of the church to glorify Jesus Christ and to make him known. And so that's our desire um, that we see. And so in Nehemiah 10, as he's walking through it, the leaders were unified and committed to God's law. Now that peace was set, and then all of a sudden the different other people, groups that were part, have started like committing themselves to the very thing, the very covenant that they have re-signed and committed themselves to as leadership. And that unity is a beautiful picture in Nehemiah 10. So you mentioned they're they're actually physically signing a document. Um, and I think that's awesome because it it is a physical representation that I think we need a lot of times just being physical people. Sometimes it's it's hard just to do it all in your mind. And to have that physical, I am signing this, there is my name. Um, we don't really do that nowadays, but I kind of want to bring it back, a, a, some sort of a physical commitment to God and to each other. Um, I think it makes it real to us. Yeah, Tuck, and, and this, this, this isn't something that really in practice hasn't fallen away from the church, but I think uh, from the outside looking in, it is something that's slowly been diluted and something that's decreased in its value. And so what that comes to is church membership. And so that's something that I actually work with people often as we talk through what it means to be a member at our church. And there is a pen to paper moment where they look at this covenant of this of these expectations, not only of the, the person that's joining, but also of the church that's receiving uh, this new member. 
And and so we do kind of have something like that. And so as the leadership signed it uh, in Nehemiah chapter 10, and then as the, as the different people groups that we see fall underneath the leadership and they commit themselves to it, um, we see this parallel. I immediately feel this parallel between that and that of the local church membership, right? And so as, as an opportunity that we have at our church is we have uh, a, a church membership covenant um, that really affirms what we believe, that, that brings in, uh, intentionally is built upon uh, the standards of Scripture that clearly identifies the vision and heart of our church. And it gives an opportunity for a person to put pen to paper and say, yeah, uh, I'm willing and I desire to be a part of this. And so that's something that is interesting. But it's it's been, um, I guess it's it's lost its popularity because it's lost its value in the eyes of many people. And so it shifted to I attend this church mm-hmm. is a lot easier and more palatable than I am a member of that church. Well, and a, a covenant is between two parties where both sides devote themselves to do something. Right. So in in this church membership, what are, you know, we have the side of the church, we have the side of the member. What are we asking each side to do? Well, or it, what are they committing to do? And it depends on the church, right? It depends on the church, but there are specific level of expectations of uh, being for the unity of the church, being committed to financially steward yourself in a way that glorifies God into the local church uh, that you're committing to. It, it talks about desiring and intentionally pursuing uh, really these seven virtues, that you'll you'll worship God with the way that you live, um, this understanding that you will not forsake the gathering, that you'll meet uh, you'll meet together, um, that you will be a person built on prayer, that we we live by the Bible. The Word of God has an authority um, over our lives, and it also is the foundation of how we understand the revealed character and nature of God that, that we share together, which I talked about with stewardship, and that we, we serve others, that we have this desire to be outward focused, not, not inward focused, that we aren't consumers of a thing, um, that we are contributors, and so that the and then that we are going to commit to obeying um, the Great Commission, that we will make Jesus known, and so that's why we have these kingdom virtues that we are trying to make sure that we understand that when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it comes to living out these virtues in the context of a local church. We will see God do incredible things. That's on that side. On the other side is a church. It's, it's, it's borderline the same way. It's we're going to care for. We're going to make sure to create this safe environment that allows you to come in and to freely engage in worship. We're going to be intentionally disciplined at studying the word and communicating the word. And so hopefully what churches are doing is it, it comes back to this high level of fear of the Lord and respect to how God has created this beautiful, what Jesus Christ died for as he's launched this bride, the grace that is available, and also the care in difficult times. And so this, this, this people that this church tries to disciple, um, while this people uh, that are being discipled are key components of the life of the church. And so this relationship, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, 
Um, but whenever, sometimes when we're living in sin or in ignorance, we're almost blind to it or we're numb to it. And there's things that maybe it needs someone else speaking into us with a desire and a care for us that far exceeds our comfort or happiness. But they know that sometimes difficult conversations need to take place because they know that we believe and desire God to be glorified in us and through us. And so as a church, that's what they're committing to, to say, listen, when we have to talk through this and we have to navigate conflict, we're going to do it in a way that glorifies God because that's the priority in your life and in mine. And so the church side, it looks like that. So overall, if you're, if you're not a member of a church, I would, I would drive you to ask the question, why? Why? Why are you not a member? What is the thing that's holding you back? Because the thing that's likely holding you back is, one, that church isn't good right? That your discernment is you don't believe what they believe. Mm -hmm. Or two, there's a level of um, a lack of understanding of the value of what it means to be a part of a church. And so um, if we're outwardly focused, if we're recognizing the virtues of kingdom seekers, uh, and if we're living this out, then the natural byproduct will be um, that you want to join our church and you want to join the church that communicates the gospel and glorifies Jesus. Well, and we've talked before the importance of community and attending church service, especially just on a Sunday morning um, at a church, especially of this size, is it's easy to get lost. You go, you sit, and you leave. Whereas actually joining, being a member, and, and living life with your community especially in small groups, but finding those people that you can live life with makes church go from something that you attend to something that you are doing on a, on a daily basis. And I think that's where you're trying to get to is in order to be a full member of a church requires you to live that life. And in order for someone to be able to speak into my life, I have to have people that know my life and what I'm doing and how they can speak into it. Um, otherwise, it's the person that says hi to me on, on Sunday, and I say hi, and, and then we walk away. God created us to be, to be relational. And so whenever we take that off the table, it's something that oftentimes we don't even realize what we're missing, and you don't realize what you're lacking until you get a taste of it. Mm -hmm. um, and you can read it in Scripture uh, but there's this level of experiential knowledge that takes place in the context of the bride of Christ that will change the way we see things. And so as we, as we pledge to, to, as they pledge to God and as, as they honor these relationships, as we desire to, to glorify God and have him be Lord and, and King over every area of our lives, over our marriages, over our businesses, Talk, how often, for, from your experience, um, can that end up being something that distracts or we misprioritize for God's purposes today? All with good intention, all good things, right. but we're the ones that mess it up. How often do you struggle with and do you see that being a difficult dynamic to navigate? It's not about a certain percentage of time. It's a when my heart is. So when when... God is not at the center of a relationship, I see that 
drifting away. And I, I don't see it in the time, but I look back and I see that. Yeah. Oh, that's why that went wrong. Right. Is, you know, in, in my relationship with my wife, we have church in the center of it. We have God in the center of that. And so that relationship goes well. With my children, I try and teach them and bring them alongside me in, in God to church as we're believers uh, and training them. And I see that going well. It's when I have a relationship that is just a, a friendship or a work relationship where I forget who I am as a Christian um, that I get focused on the job, for example, or, or whatever I'm working on, that I see that drifting slowly but surely away. And that's when I find that, that those aren't beneficial relationships to me. They don't, they're not necessarily bad, but they don't add to my life in a way that I want to be added to. Yes, I can relate with you on that. And the way that I describe it uh, when I talk to other people is for me, it's balance uh, when it comes to relationships and priorities. So making sure that I have a healthy balance of priorities in my life relationally, but also in my calling and my purpose and what I'm doing. And so when I look back at seasons where uh, my I'm out of balance, then I have misprioritized relationships and responsibilities that have led me to a way of thinking uh, that is contradictory to God's sovereignty or his goodness or his faithfulness. And, and so it has led me to a way of thinking that needs to be realigned, that needs to be rebalanced. And that typically is through the pathway of repentance, that typically is through conviction, that typically is through correction. And so what I've experienced in my life is, is as I've grown in this understanding of the priorities that are based on an understanding that the kingdom of God is available today and it will be in fullness at the end, that it has shifted what I believe God is doing and wants to do. And as my priorities more align with his priorities, it changes the dynamic of those relationships. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, as I sit down and I think through uh, the priorities of relationships or the impact that relationships have or the authority I give relationships in my life, as I think through that, the number one relationship that I need to have that gives absolute authority, it actually isn't my wife. And it definitely is not my children. It's not a church member. And it's not my parents. It's not my brother or sister. It is 100% must be God. That is the primary relationship that is more significant than any other. And then as I work my way through the prioritization, the next one is my wife mm -hmm. and my marriage. And so first it's me and God. Lauren's not even a part of that. It's me and God. And then it's me and God and my wife. And, and then we bring in the children because I'm first a child of his, and then I'm a husband, and then I'm a father. And sometimes we misprioritize. And some people, they come in or we go through seasons where we put at the highest priority our role as mom or our role as dad. And our identity is wrapped up in these things, which when empty nesting takes place, there's this unknown understanding of who we're sitting across the table from, which is why divorce is at such a high rate whenever it comes to that point. 
in that stage of life in America right now. And there's this disconnect because of a lack of balance, because of a misprioritization, because God isn't ruling and reigning at the first and foremost, and then building, building it from that. And so when it comes to relationships and balance, I think that a big uh, accountability partner in my life has been spiritual disciplines. It's been the spiritual disciplines that I see Jesus doing. It's the word of God that has authority, and it ends up leading me towards worshiping him, praying, living by the Bible, sharing joyfully, meeting together, serving others, and making him known, bringing him glory because of how much he's done in me and who gets all the credit for all things. And so as as the Lord cultivates in me his character and as the disciplines that we see in Scripture, they, they create rhythms that reinforce a level of balance that keep things rightly prioritized, that allow us an opportunity to consistently be worshiping him through all relationships and responsibility. One of the best illustrations that I've heard about that is um, if you can picture in your mind a, a bucket and you've got some rocks and some pebbles and some sand, if you put in the rocks first and then you pour in the pebbles, the pebbles kind of sift themselves around the rocks and settle in, and then you can pour in the sand and the sand filters down into everything and you've got a full bucket. But if you do that out of order and you put the sand in first, it stacks up on the bottom and you try and put some pebbles in and they go right on top of it and you have filled up your bucket without having any room anymore for those rocks because they're not fitting in the way that they need to. The sand just takes up as much space as it wants to. Mm. Um, and it's a good illustration that comes up in so many times of my life, whether it's work, um, but most importantly, the prioritization of, of putting God into my life first. Whereas if we can take that those big rocks, those important things, and put them first, like you were saying, if I can put my relationship with God first and foremost above my wife, above my children, which sounds crazy to the world to say that I've got something above my family, but if we have that correctly in our lives, it puts everything else correctly into a perspective to where it makes those human relationships that much better. So looking at um, going back a little bit to the relationship that we have with our church, you mentioned it and Dr. Ewart mentioned it as well. Um, one of the responsibilities that we have as members is financially supporting the church. And I know that in our small groups as well, quite a few of the small groups, we've been going through the treasured principle. And I want to talk about that because I know there are a lot of questions I've seen in our small group, a lot of questions that come up around our responsibility to the church financially. I think the biggest one that comes up is how much should I give? And there's that, that word tithing, which right. means 10%. Um, which I believe comes from the Old Testament mm -hmm. that talks about they were to give 10% to the Levites to care for the temple. Right. And we've kind of brought that forwards into the New Testament. Is that something that we should be following as a general rule? So when we talk about this, I want to talk about stewardship as a whole because I think what we end up doing is we end up pigeonholing ourselves into thinking a certain way that's more transactional 
uh, or I want to do this so I am in good standing with God, uh, where my desire is to come more at the heart. And when it comes to stewarding our time, our talents, and our treasure, each one of these things have a unique purpose and role in the context of the local church in the 21st century today. And so um, the first thing that I would do uh, is I want to walk through uh, and I've already addressed it to an extent, but this consumer Christianity mindset. And so we're teaching stewardship in multiple different arenas here at our church, right? We're teaching it through our small group model, through um, the treasure principle, through understanding what it means um, to, to steward our financial resources. But then on the other side, we're also teaching stewardship in our spiritual gifts uh, training that we have and service training and placement opportunities here. And so one of the one of the examples that we have in that con- the illustration that in the service uh, course that we have that I love is when it comes to the church, some people see it more as a cruise ship where they're out here enjoying it, consuming, uh, having a really good time being a part of the church. But what it needs to be is more of a battleship. Right, so you don't pay to play, and you don't come in here. You swipe your card, you give, so then you can just take, 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 take. But but we got to recognize that it's more about having a specific position on the ship, ready to engage in the warfare that is very prevalent in our area. And we keep saying the seventy-three percent. We're acknowledging the thing that needs to happen in our area, and it cannot happen unless our church recognizes that each one of us play a key part in that. So how we steward our time, our talents, and our treasure, our finances, is key to making this happen. So first, consumer Christianity is something that has to be attacked, and we got to stop and say, well, Lord, is this something that I do? Am I a consumer? Do I think about me and my opinions at a higher priority than what you're wanting to do and how you're leading us? And so that's the first step. Now, whenever you're asking specifically about finances, uh, this is what I love um, about Old Covenant and New Testament. Um, When it comes to finances, yes, we do see it throughout the Old Testament, the establishment of uh, the tabernacle and the temple and Jewish law. But the concept of giving your first fruits and tithe actually came in Genesis before all of this took place through Abram, right? And so we see uh, Abram, who becomes Abraham, we see him giving 10%, right? Um, And so what we see in that process before the law is even created, what that teaches me is that that's something that far exceeds just a command by God, okay? And so what I, this is the way I see Old Testament I think Jesus did not come uh, to shut down the Old Testament. He did not come to diminish it. Most of his teaching that we see, Jesus is actually speaking to the Old Testament and then raising the standard, raising the bar. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he's using the context of you have heard it said, you have heard it said. He's referencing the law, but then he's elevating the standard. And so what is important for us is that we don't just throw out all the things that God taught his people in terms of behavior or disposition in the Old Testament. We don't just throw that out because we're in the new covenant, because Jesus has ascended and we're waiting for a second coming. But we recognize that there is something to what scripture says in the Old Testament. 
And if we can come to a place to prioritize the lordship of God, even over the way that we see this amoral thing called money, then then what's going to happen is we will continue to see him move in a powerful way and our heart towards it will shift to where it's now a tool that can be used for him rather than a thing that I earn based on my work. And so that's the testimony of really financial stewardship in my life. And so when I, when I have seen that take place, the tool in which he did that for me is through the discipline of the tithe. It's through giving to the point to where I'm investing into the local church, not para-ministries. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sending it out. I'm, I'm investing in the gospel expansion efforts of the local bride of Christ that I'm benefiting from, that I'm sitting under the teaching in, that my children are being discipled in, that all of these things are taking place. I'm investing in this because I believe and desire for what they're doing to continue and reach the 73, right? And so when it comes to this biblical living of how money is prioritized in my life, through the discipline of stewarding and tithing, I see it, right? I, I, I get it. And when I struggle with that, when I struggle with not tithing or not being generous or sharing joyfully, typically God's revealing to me that I'm idolizing something more than him. It t- suddenly turns into a, am I sinning because I don't give a certain amount? It changes it to, I'm sinning because I'm seeing something that he gave me, I'm seeing it as mine. Mm-hmm. And so it reveals in my heart an issue. And I've got to repent, and I've got to come back to him, and I've got to receive that mercy that he gives and acknowledge the grace and the generosity of him. And I'm going to invest in things that glorify his name. And if you're at a point and you're at a church that, that you don't think investing in that church is doing that, then you need to go to a different church and stop taking from them by consuming. You need to go somewhere where you can allow the Lord to be the Lord of your wallet. You need to go somewhere where you can reap the benefit of testing him, like in Malachi, uh, of knowing and experiencing the freedom of what could be bondage of idolizing money. Because you'll be much happier there, I promise you. And if you're not giving because of the idolization of money, then there's a reprioritization. I say, man, just go to the Lord. Ask him. Because we are to be good stewards. We are to provide for our family. We are to live within our means. When I say that, though, I prioritize tithing as a part of my first fruit means. So that's the significant aspect of my calculation on what we can and can't afford. So when it comes to financially, um, that's, that's my soapbox, um, and that's where I'm at. Uh, when it comes to applying Old Testament truth um, to New Testament, New Covenant living, um, because we don't throw it out. We don't throw it out. Uh, There's some biblical truth there that is applicable today um, that we need to do uh, because he needs to be Lord of every aspect of our lives. And typically, the reason that we justify not giving is because he's not. On the other side of that, uh, Dr. Ewart spoke about canceling debts and resting the land. Yes, the Sabbath year. So uh, I really wish we had that provision in our lives now. Uh, but 
not having that, how what can we apply to our lives, this idea of resting the land, giving back, trusting in God? Well, whenever, whenever we look at what is required by these people that worked the land, and in, in verse 31 of chapter 10, it says, As for the people of the land who bring wares and the grain on the Sabbath day to sell, they will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So there is this debt that was forgiven, but also this work that wasn't taking place. And as a farmer, every single season is incredibly important, Mm -hmm. right? Even as employees, uh, a year of work, it's how we are provided for. And so the level of faith and dependence on Jehovah Jireh as as their provider that that they have saying, I will rest on the seventh and I won't even collect debt on the seventh because of I, I, I have faith and understanding of his provision that the sixth will carry me through the seventh and even into the eighth as we replant. And so what the 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 personal discipline that we can take that and apply it today it is an honest assessment on whether or not we participate in Sabbath. And when you look at creation, when you look at Genesis, when you look at how God created the heavens and the earth and formed the world and, and then ultimately created man and, and woman in his image, as he created man, the very next day was rest. And so some people think that Rest is just so that God can be worshipped, and so we check a box. But we fail to understand that that we were created for rest. And then it's from that, that rest that we've had with God, that Sabbathing that takes place, that we are provided for. And so not only is it an aspect of faith that we need to Sabbath uh, every, every week, that we, need to, that we need to give him a day, um, it's faith and dependence that he will provide, but it's also this other side of recognizing a major aspect of why we were created to enjoy him and to experience him as our shepherd. And so that discipline of Sabbathing, we see it here in Nehemiah 10 with the Sabbath year, and then we also recognize it uh, in our personal lives and through um, the commandments and through Old Testament law, which we can then also recognize is something that can be applied and lived out today uh, as a biblical practice. And that is one that is fruitful, regardless of uh, what covenant we sit under. It's almost like he is trying to get us to see that we need to slow down and to listen and to see him on a weekly and a yearly throughout our lives kind of a basis. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So I had a few listener questions come in uh, that I wanted to run by you and see um, if you could kind of help shine a light on uh, on a couple of these. Yeah, so, you'll be answering these too. <laughs> so the first one says, uh, Tuck mentioned on a previous episode the difference between a full life and a busy life, but mine just feels busy. I'm especially burned out with kids' sports schedules, interfering with church and family time. How do I keep priorities in order, and what does a balanced life look like? 
So what would you say to that person that references what you said? Well, it sounds like what you were just kind of talking about of having that Sabbath, having that time. And, and it, it doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen. Um, I hear a lot of times people say, I can't find the time to do something. And instead, we need to be making the time and planning time for certain things. And it sounds like a lot uh, what you were just saying is to schedule that Sabbath time, whether or not that's a Saturday, whatever that day is, um, to be able to make time intentionally to be with your family, to be with God, however that looks like. Um, I think a lot of times it will require a sacrifice from us, whether that is getting up early before the kids get up to study and worship, um, whether that is setting aside time, uh, a specific day to say we are going to be doing this as a family. Um, but it is, it's difficult when your life is busy it requires stepping back and reprioritizing. Where we were talking about those big rocks, it sounds like a lot of sand has filled up in the bottom of the bucket and is not leaving a lot of room for some of those big things that you want in your life. And it, it's not just going to happen. You have to make a change to put those rocks in first somehow to be able to, to reprioritize some of those smaller things in life. Yeah, two things that... Dr. Ewart has been teaching me is one, um, the discipline of why. So, and the significant importance of assessing. So if, you're, if your life just feels busy, uh, the first question is, what aspects of it just feel too much? And why are the things that are on your plate on your plate? So in business, we call that adding value. Right. I'm doing a lot of things, but what about it adds value? That's right. And sometimes you have to do things that don't add value, mm -hmm. right? Not everyone's job descriptions perfectly outline everything that adds life. Uh, some of them have difficult things that just need to be done. But if we can sit down and we can look at ourselves and look at our time and look at our responsibilities and look at our priorities and ask, you know, assess appropriately, why do we do what we do? Uh, I think that it can come to the ultimate conclusion of praying and seeing the Lord appropriately prioritize things as we're worshiping him, as we're praying continually, as we're living by the Bible, as we're sharing joyfully, as we meet together and serve others and make Jesus known, as we do these things, as we live out these priorities, uh, then that's the, beautiful, that's the beautiful thing is that God ends up working some things out and correctly prioritizing our heart, which will then... Uh, allow us to see things rightly. And that's the shift from busy to full. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next question I have says, I'm in college now, but I graduated high school during the COVID lockdowns. I feel depressed and I don't know how to move forwards from feeling like I lost multiple key years of my social life. How can I overcome this? So you and Chelsea, you guys are launching this college ministry. We are. And so I'd be very interested to hear you navigate um, because this is going to be the testimony of a lot of students that you have uh, in your ministry. Yeah. I mean, this is a very real thing. Um, COVID disrupted lives for the entire world. Um, and I can't imagine being in that stage of life that is so centered around community 
and having it all of a sudden turn into you by yourself on the screen. Um, I didn't have to go through that. I mean, my life was already on a screen with work. Um, but to have that shift is is wild. So that's one of the reasons that we are starting our young adult ministry. Uh, it starts on October 26. And if, you know, if you sent this in or you are feeling that describes me, I would highly encourage you to make time to come join our small group. Because the biggest thing that this is yelling out to me is I need community. I lost community and I don't know how to find it. And that's a very, very real thing in this age group, whether you are in college or just out of college, as you are learning to be an adult, those relationships change. Because back in high school, and even some in college, relationships were easy. It was the person you sat next to in class. It was the person that you were assigned to live with in the dorms. And as you move away from that, how do you build relationships? And the biggest thing that I would say is get in a small group, get in a community group with your church, and automatically you have those ways to build bonds because you have that priority of God. And whether or not this person you might interact with on a regular daily life outside of this, you have one of the most important things in common right off the bat. So I would say to you, you need community. And I would suggest let us be part of that community. So October 26, um, you can look on the temple.church website. Um, we should be on there as far as how you can find the small groups how you can contact me specifically and my wife uh, to get set up for that. That'll be Thursday nights. Um, we will start with going through John, the book of John, but also in that we are trying to say this is who you can do life with. We would like you to do life with us to build that community um, and to, to make those relationships. And to give a little bit of hope, because as we look through Old Testament and we look through the people of God that lost, they now COVID was something that I wouldn't say people like caused, right? And so I didn't, I don't, I didn't deserve COVID. Where the people of Israel, whenever they ended up being dispersed or they were rebelling against God, so the fruit, the consequences of their actions led to captivity or the promised land being taken from them, or them being overtaken by surrounding enemies, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, um, but there is something too in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that gives hope to the nature and the character of God. And it's in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and, com and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So there is a desire and a nature of God to be the restorer. And so when we think through things that we've lost or seasons of, of, of stuff that we've gone through, I think that there's a level of hope that we can have that God will restore the very things that we believe were taken from us. And so this heart disposition towards him as our father and this pursuit of him that we desire to receive this love that he has and, and this, this sacrifice that he's made for us, but also in the establishment of his church, that is something that I think that we'll experience that restoration uh, in our lives, but also in our past, uh, 
and in the things that we've gone through and even the things that we've missed um, through COVID. So there's a level of hope that I would just encourage you with uh, for whoever answered that or requested that or had that question and submitted it um, that, uh, man, our God is a good God and he is faithful and he is sovereign and there is some good thing. There are some good things ahead for those that seek his face and wait upon him for he is the restorer. And then Luke, it says to us, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be given to you. And I think that's that that idea that you were talking about is as we give ourselves over to this, he's not going to just give us what we missed. He's going to make it bigger and better than we could have imagined. Because what we need and what we desire is him. And so the more that we experience him, the more that we recognize his provision is far greater. The grace is far greater than we deserve and also than we could have ever, ever imagined if we thought of everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. So God is good, and I appreciate uh, that question. Well, Bennett, thank you so much for your time today. As we're wrapping up, what is uh, one key takeaway that you would like to leave us with as we go through this week? Man, my one key takeaway is constantly coming to a point of personal assessment, asking your question, uh, asking why uh, do I do the things that I do? Why do I uh, interact with the local church the way that I do? And Lord, search my heart and give him space uh, to convict, to correct, um, but also to give you vision and passion for the very things that he desires to do through his church, through you uh, in the local body. And so that's my prayer. Uh, for the people of our church, and that's my prayer for even me, uh, myself, and my family. And that's my encouragement towards all of us that are listening, um, that we seek his face in those matters. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us on another episode of Temple Talk. We will be back next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. We hope that digging into God's Word together has enriched your perspective and brought encouragement. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to email them at templetalk at temple.church. You can also visit our website at temple.church for more resources. We pray God will continue to bless you and your loved ones as you seek Him in Scripture. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk. Year of Jubilee.